we're going to um, finish this morning our series on the Lord's Prayer. It's been a wonderful series, and um, we're just going to bring it to a, a close. And uh, for your information, uh, in August, we're going to be looking uh, at the book of Acts and the number of key personalities and key figures in the early church. So Sunday by Sunday, we'll be taking a theme, taking a name and a character, and just exploring what God can do with ordinary people. And hopefully that will inspire our faith, what God can do with each and every one of us. So I think what I have found by looking at the Lord's Prayer is that it is not just a prayer. It's not only a prayer. Because I believe it shows us how we are to live before God. Praying and living are one. How, how odd if the person that we are when we're praying is the person we're not when we're living. And that's a challenge for all of us. Our prayer life and living our active faith in Jesus Christ is one thing. And this is what this prayer brings together. The Lord's Prayer is in two sections. There's the first bit which concentrates on what we need to know about God. And we've gone through that and it's been very powerful. And then the second bit is what we need to know about ourselves. John Calvin, the great theologian, said this, true and sound wisdom consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. We need to know God and we need to know ourselves. And this, I think, is what the Lord's Prayer helps us to do. So what do we need to know about God? Well, we, we've looked at that already, haven't we? We need to know him as our heavenly father. It's relationship. We need to, to know what it is to be serving a holy God, to hallow his name, to reverence and to respect the name and the person of God. And we need to understand that not only is he our father, but also he is our sovereign, and it is his kingdom and his will that we must seek to work through. What do we need to know about ourselves? Well, we've looked at this again. We need to know that we are dependent upon God, that we need to know him for our daily bread, physical bread, and our spiritual bread. Total dependence on God is a good place to be. That's where we as his children need to focus on him. Our need for ongoing forgiveness humble before him. And, as we heard last week, if we are truly forgiven, if we have received the forgiveness of God, we cannot help but forgive others. It is a natural flow. What we have received, we give. As we are forgiven, we forgive. Absolutely vital, essential part of our Christian walk. We cannot receive forgiveness and then be unforgiving to one another. And then the final bit, our need to be safeguarded from trials and testing and delivered from evil. And that's the, the section that we're going to look at uh, today. So let's just read uh, the, the prayer again. It's in Matthew 6, as you well know. And uh, we're just going to read um, uh, from verse 9 through to verse 13. Matthew 6, verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. 
Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I suppose as we're looking at knowing ourselves and what this prayer teaches us about us, our daily bread, our being forgiven and forgiving, and our protection, it's all about provision, pardon, and protection. And that's, that's useful for us to, to just absorb and to take on board. That what we know about ourselves is our need for provision, pardon, and protection. And so, lead us into temptation. It's a tricky one. Because you're all sitting there sagely nodding, yes, but what about James chapter 1 and verse 13? What about it? Because it says there, that God does not tempt anyone. So why are we praying to God to lead us not into temptation when he doesn't tempt us in the first place? And I think it's helpful sometimes to, to look at the original, look at the Greek, and get a better understanding of what the, the meaning of the word could be. Translators have a very difficult job. They take one language and its richness and they try and convey that meaning in another language. But the word, the Greek word used for temptation, as it's translated here, is pyrasmos. Pyrasmos. And when you look at that word, it's a big word. And it carries a sense of putting to proof, testing, an experiment, where a scientist would take a substance and try it for its purity would try it for its soundness, would test it in an experiment to make sure it is what it says it is. There's a sense of an experience of good and evil in that one word, parasmos. There's a bit of discipline, there's provocation, there's, there's a richness to it, and by implication it's almost adversity. And many scholars would agree that the word is probably better translated testing, trial. I even went back to Matthew Henry's commentaries and he came to the same conclusion hundreds of years ago that it's a testing and a trial which this prayer is asking God to lead us out of and lead us from. And interestingly, in James chapter 1 and verse 12, the very verse before that one where it says God does not tempt anyone, it says this, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. And the word there is the same word, but translated as trial. So this is helping me, and I hope it's helping you, to see what the sense of this prayer is all about. It's about the believer coming to God and saying, Lord, don't lead me into trial. Don't lead me into testing. Now, the trouble with that is the Bible is full of God's saints that have been tested and tried and gone through the mill for the glory of God. I could spend all morning reciting names and incidents where God's people have really had trouble and trial and testing. We could look at Abraham. Sacrifice your son Isaac. What a test. What a trial. But God, leading Abraham into it, provided the solution and the answer. 
we look at David, a shepherd boy, quite content, minding his own business, and God says, you'll be king. And then Saul wanted to kill him. There was a price on his head. David was very happy being a shepherd, but God said, no, this is what I want for you. And David was in fear of his life. He was a hunted man, a wanted man. Years later, Absalom, his own son, rebelled and tried to kill his own father and take him off the throne. The servants of God go through trial and difficulty. We look at Paul, doing God's will, shipwrecked, imprisoned, beaten, tortured. That man went through trial and testing. But what does he say? The trial of your faith. Paul was willing for the trial and the testing. And so must we be. There are many things that come into our lives that cause distress and hurt, but there is a purpose in it all. We think of Job, all this, the trouble that he went through, losing everything. But in Job 23, verse 10, and when the Lord has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. You look at gold. It's heated, it's heated, it's heated again. And the, the impurities are taken away. As they rise to the surface in the heat in the furnace, the impurities are taken away. And that's what God is doing. Trial and testing is not because he wants us to suffer. Trial and testing is because he wants us to be the people that he's called us to be. We need to be aware, however, of our weaknesses. We need to pray that we would be spared trials which make us vulnerable. And I think the essence here is the heart of the prayer. I've known Christians, and I've been there myself, where you believe, you have a faith, but you enjoy certain things that you know are wrong. And some Christians live their life by almost seeing how far they can go away from God in their will and what they want and still be a Christian. It's a delicate balancing act. There's a distance between them and God because they love God and they want God, but they don't want God's control. They don't want God's purposes in their life. The true Christian, the follower of Christ, will love God so much that the thought of failing Jesus, of hurting him, of letting him down, of in a test and a trial, of actually blowing it, that thought will so grip us that we pray, Lord, don't lead us into test. Don't lead us into trial. The heart is that we want to be pure and we want to be true to the person God wants us to be. And it's a hard thing. And that's what I want us as a church this morning, individually and corporately, that we pray this prayer over us and the church. Lord, we love you so much. We don't want to blow it. We don't want to let you down. We don't want to mess things up. Lord, we, we love you so much. We just want to please you. Lord, we, 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 we love you. We want more of you. We want your glory. We want your power. We want, we want to be used by you. And Lord, that's our heart. So please, spare us from test. Spare us from trial. Don't let us get into situations where we will fail you and mess up because we just want to be pure. We want to be 
your son and daughter. Matthew 26, watch and pray. Watch and pray so that you do not fall. It's a battle. Every day, it's a battle. We must be true. We must be sure in our walk with God. And this is one prayer that we can pray. It says, Lord, I love you so much. Just, just deliver me and, and don't lead me into test and trial. I just want to honor you. Is, is that our heart? Is that our heart? Or as we go into the week, we mess up and we just shrug and go, oh, well. Does it hurt us when we fall? Does it hurt when we fail? Because that's the heart that God is looking for. That's the heart that God wants. Be true. Hold on to God. And your desire should be, Lord, I don't want anything to happen that will stop me loving you and honoring you. I heard a, a, a man, a visiting speaker once, came to our uh, old church, and he spoke about someone in his congregation. And it's a very powerful story, and I remember it still. And he was, um, this man was a traveling businessman, and uh, very successful, and he would travel, uh, certainly the UK, maybe the world. But it was a lonely life. And he would go to hotel after hotel, on his own, on business. And in that hotel room, on his own, in a strange place, the television became his entertainment. And he found that he was watching things that he shouldn't watch. He was watching things that he wouldn't watch if anybody else was in the room. And it was only him and his television. And he was just aware that he wasn't honoring God. That that test and that trial, that, that box in the corner, was winning. And he was watching things that he shouldn't. And he just prayed and he, he wrestled in prayer. He was full of shame. And the next trip, he had a, a framed photograph of his wife and kids. And when he got into his room, he put it next to the television. And then he got his Bible, and he put his Bible next to the television. And whenever he was tempted, he would look at his wife and kids. And he said, no, I won't watch that. And if that wasn't enough, his eyes would be drawn to his Bible. And he said, no, I will not dishonor the Lord. It's a battle. It's an effort. But that's why we must pray that God will be with us and not lead us into trials that would overwhelm us and that we will be vulnerable in. And whenever God does lead us into these trials and tests, he always makes a door of escape. There is never once that we are led into trial and testing without God giving a clearly marked route. 1 Corinthians 10, when you are tempted, when you are tested, when you are tried, He, God, will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it, so that you can overcome. We don't, we don't want to fail, but we just guard our hearts that we are true to him. I was in um, the office uh, the other week, and um, everyone was in. It was one of those days where things were happening, people were coming and going, and um, Andrew Davis and Graham were digging holes outside. Now, there is a, 
There is a reason why they were digging holes. We're having some building work done, and uh, the surveyor needed to look at the foundations. So they were there, digging away. And at one point, Andrew Davis walked in, and he came into the office. And all I could hear was Gina shrieking, Out! Look! And what Andrew had done, inadvertently, is his shoes had brought the mud from outside onto Gina's beautiful office carpet. She cast him out immediately. But he took his shoes off, and he walked back in. And he was welcomed. He was smelly feet, but we didn't mind. He was welcomed in. And sometimes, when we are not sensitive, not sensitive to our lifestyle and what we do and where we go, as Christians, do we, do we leave mud on the carpet? What, what signs do we leave? What signs follow us? There is a way out. Andrew took his shoes off. And we need to be people of action that don't just accept that, hey, this is me, I'm not perfect, so get over it, and just walking through life and creating chaos and letting people deal with the dirt that we leave behind. No, that's not the heart of this prayer. The heart of this prayer is we don't want to make a mess. Lord, lead us not. We just want to be pure and holy and belong to you. Jesus is teaching us to pray that we may be protected. Protected when we find ourselves in these situations. These situations that would drag us away from loyalty to him. It's about our heart's desire. Do we want to get away with this sort of stuff, or do we want to say, no, it's Christ for me? Are we happy that we are, mm, you know, living two different lives? Life, our prayer life is not the life we're living. I don't think we are happy with that. Because a double-minded a double man will not prosper. We must be single-minded, and we must follow Christ. We must recognize our frailties because we are all human and we will all fail, but pray that desire and opportunity are kept apart. Pray that desire and opportunity are kept apart, that we might be pure and holy and walk blameless in his sight. It's actively seeking to be faithful to our Lord and Savior. Even Jesus prayed, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup away. This trial, this test, this, this torment that he was going to go into, the cross, the suffering. Lord, if it's possible, but your will, not mine. And that's the attitude of this prayer. Lord, if it's possible, lead us not, but we know that God is in us in any trial and any test. And the second part, but deliver us from the evil one. Sometimes I've met Christians who, who don't think that the devil's going to bother them, that they're not important enough, that, that actually, as long as I keep quiet, I'll be okay. 
That's like me in my physics class. When I started physics in high school, for the first two weeks, I thought this was marvelous. I could see that uh, post as a physicist was entirely possible. I quite enjoyed it. In the third week, I changed my mind. Because in the third week, my brain started to hurt. In the third week, it all went pear-shaped. And so, in my young mind, I decided that the only way I was going to survive this two years is to keep quiet, keep my head down, not attract any attention, and by that anonymity, I would, I would get through the, the, the two years okay, unscathed. It sort of worked. That is not an option for us. That is not an option for the follower of Jesus Christ. You are either for him or against him. You are either with him or you're not. And if you are for him, if you are with Jesus Christ, if you are a son and daughter of the living God, then we have an enemy. In fact, we have two enemies. We have our fallen nature and the flesh, ourselves, but we also have that adversary, the devil, Satan. Deliver us from the evil one. Twice in the New Testament, Satan is called the tempter. He's against us. If he can do anything to upset or to cause us to fall, he will. In 1 Peter 5, we have an adversary, a roaring lion. He's not a pussycat. He's a roaring lion. And he seeks whom he may devour. We need to understand through this prayer that we are involved in a warfare against our own nature and against our adversary, the devil. Jesus spoke to Peter in Luke chapter 22. He said, Simon, Satan has desired to have you, to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And Peter went through great testing, went through great difficulties, but he came through because Jesus' prayer was answered. But that adversary is a real enemy. We must be conscious that we are in spiritual warfare as individuals and as a church. We know that the community that we live in and we serve in, there is darkness. We must fight it. The light must dispel the darkness. But when, when, you, when you stand as an army, when you're dressed for battle, you attract attention. This church is beginning to attract attention because we are seeking to honor the name of God in this place. We are seeking to reach out and make a difference. We're not going to shut the doors and be quiet. We're going to go out and we're going to claim the land and we're going to reach out and we want lives changed and we want God to be glorified everywhere we go because he is worthy. He must be honored. And so... When we pray, deliver us from the evil one, 
God responds in different ways. And I've, I've experienced, I guess, most of these. There is our Heavenly Father working by special acts, special acts of sovereignty, where he removes the circumstances and he overcomes. God can do that. In answer to prayer, God can say, no, that's not going to happen. I'm stopping it. I'm preventing it. I'm protecting my church and my, my son and daughter. He can act by removing desires within us and changing our hearts. And that's great. As we are tempted, as we, as we in, engage, the evil one is attacking, that, that God can help us in our hour of need. And that desire, that, that urge to do something that we shouldn't, God, by his sovereign spirit, is moving and changing us. Other times, dare I say normally, he allows us to experience the trials and the testings of our flesh and of the evil one because he wants us to grow and he wants us to develop. When I look back at my life, there are dozens of occasions that I would have rathered I had never gone through. Even today, I can, rec I can recall the pain, the hurt, the disappointment, the, the just feeling of, of desperation. And all through these trials, th these have been hard things. These, these have been tests that I, I didn't want. There will be things in your life in, in your, your, your personal life, in your family, in, in your business, in your community, there will be so many things where, where the trials and the tests and the attacks will come. But just as an unused muscle will atrophy, will weaken, will actually wither, so will our Christian walk if we're not engaged in, in battle and, and trial and testing. When, when the Royal Navy commission a ship, it goes on sea trials. The only reason is to test that the ship will do what it's supposed to. So that when war comes, it is battle ready. And God is doing that in each and every one of us. We may not like it. We may not want it. We may say, what is the point of this? But God brings circumstances and situations that he is training us and developing us and building us for his glory. Our spiritual maturity is stunted if we do not submit to the trials of life. We don't want to be passive Christians. We don't want to be safe Christians. We want to be warriors. We want to get out there and be what God intends us to be. We want to turn the world upside down as it says in Acts. You don't turn the world upside down by sitting in your chair. You turn the world upside down by getting out and being what God has called you to be. And I think we just need to mobilize and stir our hearts and to be what God wants us. Because God has plans for us. God has plans for this church. And we just need to be arm in arm with God. And God marches into some terrible places, but we march with him. And we look to overcome. God hates sin. God is light. He dispels darkness. And God will be taking us into the dark places 
to bring his light. But we go not alone. We go with Jesus. I, I, I love sport. And in school, obviously I'm a bit past it now, but in school I used to play whatever sport I could. The cricket team, the rugby team, the football team, I loved it. Really enjoyed it. A sense of team, a sense of belonging, a sense of fun and you know, competition, brilliant. But there were some kids, and I remember it vividly, they were so skillful and so brilliant that you would think, my goodness, their name must be the first on the team sheet. And I would look around, and I was um, a sportsman of limited ability, shall we say. But what I lacked for in skill, I made up for in, in enthusiasm and heart. That was my saving feature. I was always going to go for it, and we were always going to win. I had that win attitude, that win mentality. But some of these guys, as I looked at them, they were so more skillful. They could do tricks with a football that I hadn't even thought was possible. And in training, they were fantastic. And they would do all the tricks, and, and they would be brilliant. Show ponies. You know, it was just wonderful. But you put them in a game, and you get a rather unpleasant midfielder clatter into them, and you wouldn't see them for the rest of the game because their heart wasn't in it. As soon as they met opposition, they were finished. And when he wanted to pass to them, they were standing on the touchline. They were in the safest place they could find. God wants people of heart, of passion, people that are going to say, no, it's not my life, it's God's life. I don't serve myself, I serve Jesus Christ. The highest call on my life is Jesus. And if Jesus wants me to live there, if Jesus wants me to go there, if Jesus wants me to do this, if Jesus wants me to cross the street and talk to that neighbor that's been awkward, if Jesus wants me to do that, if that's what he's put in my heart, then I'm going to do it. Don't be show Christians. Be real Christians. Get your hands dirty. Get into the trial. Get into the battle. It's not pleasant. It's hard. But my goodness, you grow. My goodness, you get in the team. Where's your heart? Where's your passion? God wants us to develop us to resist the devil. James 4, 1 Peter 5. James 4 particularly, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Jesus in Matthew 4 in his temptations, after Jesus had resisted him, the devil left him. The evil one is to be resisted. The evil one is to be challenged in the name of Jesus. And when we pray, deliver us from the evil one, we're asking for God's help and God's anointing to be the people in the tests and the trial that will take the battle to the enemy and will win land and, and ground for him. Temptations, enemy, Satan is subtle. But that's why in Ephesians 6, we have the armor of God. And that's why as Christians, we need to, to get dressed of a morning. We put on our physical clothes, but do we stop and think, I'm going to put on Christ. I'm going to clothe myself with Christ. I'm going to have the, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, the belt of truth, the feet shod with the good news of the gospel. I'm going to get dressed. 
You don't go to work in your pajamas. You may do. I don't know. Most people don't. You go to work dressed. And as Christians, we need to get dressed and clothe ourselves in Christ and put on the armor of God. Because we can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it ourselves. And just that absolute dependency on him is what God is asking us to do. That's the, that's the truth of this prayer. Lord, I love you so much. Don't, don't lead me into anything that, that's going to cause me to fail you. And Lord, I, I recognize there's an enemy and, and I will not shirk it. I will stand in, in your name and for your glory, but deliver me from the evil one. Because only Christ has the authority. Only God has the authority. G.K. Chesterton, uh, a famous illustration about um, Satan and his power. And I'm just going to paraphrase it a bit. Imagine a rhinoceros came up the path and charged into this room. Now, I'd be okay because I'm up those stairs and out the door. But you would have a problem. You'd have a rhinoceros in here which has immense power. But in G.K. Chesterton's story, it was a restaurant, and he would say, I would take great delight in standing up and, and declaring that whilst the rhinoceros had power, it had no authority. It could not tell anybody to do anything. And that's the difference between power and authority. Power is, is doing stuff, and Satan has that. Satan has a power, but he has no authority. He has no authority over us, over this church, over our lives. We're covered by Jesus. We're covered by God. And it's just walking in that authority. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter what we face, it's the authority of God upon us, in us, and through us. Claiming it, believing it, and walking in that power. God has all authority. Know your Bible. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he quoted Scripture. Know your Bible. Know who you are. Read it. Meditate upon it. Declare it. I've taken recently to, to praying promises that God has given me, but praying them out loud and declaring them. Just speak it out. Speak the promises and the goodness and the power of God over your lives. So where does that leave us? It leaves us with a great God, a Father, holy reverent, a king who has a kingdom and a will that we are serving. It leaves us as dependent for our provision from him. It leaves us pardoned, but a people that pardon others. And it leaves us protected. It leaves us praying, Lord, you're the one. I serve you. And that is my heart. Let me leave you with a verse of scripture. Um, from Titus chapter 2. And he's talking about the grace of God in this letter. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. We don't use the grace of God as a get out of sin pass every day. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. That's what grace does. It makes a difference. Grace teaches us to live a self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us 
to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. That's the heart of lead me not into trial. That's the heart of deliver us from the evil one, that we are equipped to be eager to do what is good. Who do you serve? Who is Lord? If that is unresolved in your life, you will always be vulnerable. Who do you serve? Double standards are the enemy of the Christian and the follower of Christ. It is Christ for me. Holiness and purity and a heart wanting to reach out and honor God. I just sense that as a church, and as I was preparing this, that God is calling each and every one of us to, to do some spring cleaning. There are things that we have let undone. There are things that we have let to grow that are not helpful. It'll mean different things for different people. But let that this be a wake-up call. Let this be a challenge to us that we clean ourselves up. That we don't walk through the house spreading dirt everywhere. That we take action and that we honor God in our daily lives, in our home lives, in our work lives, wherever God takes us. I just want to pray over us as a church now that, that God will, will show all of us where he is pointing the finger and urging us to clean up. Lord, I thank you that you are sovereign, that you are Lord, that you are holy, that, Lord, you are all light. There is no darkness with you. There is, there is nothing, Lord, that is ambiguous. You, you're, you're just bright and holy and magnificent light. And I pray, Lord God, that you would shine your light into each and every one of our hearts. I pray, Lord God, you would reach out and that you would show each and every one of us where there are areas that we need to clean, where there are areas that your spirit needs access to. I pray, Lord God, that we would open the doors and break down the barriers. And Lord, as we welcome you in, as we ask you, Lord, to search our hearts, to try us, Lord, that you, you do a good job. And so, Lord, we pray in your mercy, in your love, in your grace and your tender-hearted gentleness, would you minister to us. And, Lord, where there is anything that is offensive to you, Lord, would you gently just say, that's got to go. And, Lord God, I pray that you would give us the power and the enabling to make that step, that we will be people, Lord, that are prepared for action, that we will be battle-hardened, and that we will be ready for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.